Hey there, welcome back to the Pop Punk Project. My name's Keenan. Hey everyone, my name's Mike. Keenan, you know what? I have a really good feeling about this week's episode. Oh yeah? Why's that, Mike? I don't know. We got the spooky episode out of the way last week and, um... Hey, wait, did you hear that? Hear what? No, I didn't hear anything. Oh my god. Oh, oh no, help! Keenan, there's... What's wrong? Are you okay? There's zombies and aliens and vampires and dinosaurs. Ah! Mike, are you okay? Mike, what's going on? Oh my god! No, Mike! Mike, no! Well, Mike's clearly dead, but the show must go on. This week, I will be discussing Hello Goodbye's album, Zombies, Aliens, Vampires, Dinosaurs. Time to stage dive in solo. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm fine, everybody. But boy, that was a close call. <laughs> yeah, that looks scary, Mike. Oh my goodness. Hate to relive it so soon, but here we go. Zombies, Aliens, Vampires, Dinosaurs is the debut studio album by indie pop band Hello Goodbye, released on August 8th, 2006 through Drive Through Records. The album's title is a reference to popular youth culture and interest during the mid-2000s. <laughs> you remember those, Mike, right? The interests in uh, popular youth culture back then? These were definitely some of my favorite interests, Keenan. It's interesting you said they were an indie pop band, Mike. They really weren't what I would consider pop punk. They were definitely a little bit different, very synthy, but certainly fit into this genre, wouldn't you say? I would. Their sound is all over the place, so there's definitely more songs that fit in than others, but this is our show, Keenan, and we do what we want. Yeah, you tell them. The band was actually formed in 2002, and back then it included Forrest Klein, who was the lead singer and played guitar, Marcus Cole, the bassist, Jesse Kervink, the keyboardist, and Chris Profeta on drums. And this lineup has changed significantly through the years. I think today, Forrest Klein is the only member of the original lineup that is still in the band. It's gone through multiple variations. They reminded me a bit of Panic at the Disco in that sense, how Brendan Urie has remained the only consistent member of that band, and Forrest is the only consistent member here. Yeah, you're totally right. The uniqueness of their sound kind of made me think of Panic at times, too. In any event, the album sold over 40,000 units within its first week, debuting at number 13 on the U.S. Billboard 200 Albums Chart, at number 1 on the U.S. Independent Album Charts, and at number 1 on the U.S. Internet Albums Chart. <laughs> oh, you know, the uh, ever-popular U.S. Internet Albums Chart. That's right. When Zack Ryder was in WWE, he had the Internet Championship, which he made up <laughs> himself. So Really? Yeah. Oh, well, maybe these guys just made up the uh, Internet Albums Chart. I don't it's know. It's very likely. That was some executive's <laughs> big idea for 2004. We're going to debut a new chart. Well, I feel like they were just so popular on, like, MySpace and Zanga. Oh, yeah. They were like, ever-present on people's top, whatever, 10 artists in MySpace. Yeah, these guys and Plain White Tees, I feel like, were all over yeah. MySpace back in the day. You're totally right. So maybe that's why they won that prestigious award. Could be. And as we know, Keenan, we're always up to date on <laughs> record sales. As of April 2007, this album <laughs> has sold 350,000 copies in the United States. Wow. 
as of that time, <laughs> April 2007, the most up-to-date statistics we could get on this podcast. Not bad. It might be closer to platinum these days because I know here in your arms sold a million units, so I feel like that probably helped bolster the sales of this album as a whole. The early success of this album actually surprised the executives at Drive Through, who in response began heavily promoting the band to pop radio. By the end of that summer, the group were regularly selling out a thousand person plus venues and went on a headlining tour with support from Ozma, Cute is What We Aim For, Peach Cake, Reggie and the Full Effect, and Dave Melillo. You remember Dave Melillo, right, Mike? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do, Keenan. <laughs> Some of those bands I actually do recognize, like Ozma and Cute is What We Aim For, but I have to admit, I don't think I know the others. Yeah, those are the two that stuck out to me. I know Reggie and The Full Effect, they were somehow related to My Chemical Romance because I had one of their albums, and it was actually very good, but solid touring partners, I would say. Don't think I would ever want to see Hello Goodbye as the headliner these <laughs> the days. The headliner, though. I was about to say, the reason that we don't know many of those bands is because Hello Goodbye was headlining. I feel like they were still coming into their own and finding their own popularity at that point in time definitely i think i saw in years following this that hello goodbye opened for paramore on one of their tours and that would be a solid show keenan it's august of 2006 what in the world's going on here mike i remember that being a very hot summer Mm-hmm. and it started real hot august 8th actor sylvester stallone and former heavyweight boxing contender chuck weppner settle a lawsuit out of court for an undisclosed sum. Wepner claims that he was the inspiration for the Rocky movies, and therefore Sylvester Stallone had to, I guess, pay him royalties. That's a little uh, Philly flavor for you, Mike. little local news story. That's odd, Keenan. Are you sure this guy wasn't thinking of the Chucky movies starring that <laughs> crazy doll? That's what it was, yeah, the Chucky movies, Mike. Rocky's a completely different guy. Oh, I guess... Chucky thought he was similar. I guess he thought he was a boxer. Settling out of court kind of sucks because you don't really know how much they settled for. So it's like you think, okay, this guy must have been right because they gave him some money, but they probably just wanted to make it go away yeah. and get everybody back on track for Rocky 18. <laughs> That's true. I don't know the whole story, but I do think that Sylvester Stallone admitted that he stole the concept from this guy, Chuck. He looked at his life, he looked at some of these iconic fights that he had in his past, and then he built the Rocky Balboa character after him. So I think he did acknowledge it, and he, I guess, wanted to probably just give Chuck his his dues. Gotcha. Do you do a good Sly Stallone impression? Uh, well, you want to find out? <laughs> yeah. Adrian! Adrian! <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Better than I could do. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Hey, hey, Chuck, let's settle out of court. <laughs> what? I feel like that impression sounded like every other impression you've ever done. Yeah, well, it definitely sounded like Ray Romano's brother. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Robert Barone. <laughs> that was just your Robert Barone again. Raymond, I did it. <laughs> oh, God. Not back to this. On August 24th, Keenan, one day before my 16th birthday. Hey, happy birthday, buddy. Thanks. License to Drive. The International Astronomical Union, or IAU as I like to call it, redefines the term planet. In doing so, Pluto is now considered a dwarf planet, 
I remember being very upset when I read that news story. Like, I felt bad for Pluto. Yeah, it seemed unnecessary. And just like these guys wanted to pick on poor Pluto. Just because he's a little bit smaller than the others. I'll tell you what, Mike. I actually reached out to friend of the show, Charlie Kelly. Ah. Who, as we know, is literally a rocket scientist. He is. Currently working for SpaceX in Los Angeles. Is he really? Yeah, he, he actually just moved down to Los <laughs> Angeles awesome. and got a job at SpaceX, I know. I didn't know that. So, yeah. We love SpaceX. Yeah, it's the best. Shout out to SpaceX. <laughs> but I was joking that Charlie's going to be the first man on Pluto, which would be stupid because it's just a dwarf planet now. <laughs> but I asked Charlie, I was like, is the only reason that they downgraded Pluto because it's so small? And he said, yeah, that's part of it. But also there were so many other similar sized bodies that behaved in similar ways out there that they said, oh, there's no sense in classifying Pluto as this when all these other ones exist. I think they discovered more mm. after naming Pluto a planet, and because of that, they're like, okay, we have to take that back. Interesting. Sometimes less is more, Keenan. That's, yeah, that's what I'm That's what I'm thinking. But my question is, what's the next planet to get canceled? What do you think? Probably Uranus. <laughs> Cancel culture is crazy. I'm surprised they haven't come for Uranus. <laughs> God, stop saying Uranus like that, please. But yeah, you're right. Uranus should be canceled. My very excellent mother just served us... Nachos. Yeah, I guess nachos works to fit the new criteria. Yeah. As of 2006. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, how about this one, Mike? This is a cool one. On August 31st... Edward Munch's famous painting, The Scream. Are you familiar with that one? I am. It's the one that goes like... <laughs> Nobody can see you doing that. I know. <laughs> okay. They know what I'm doing. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, his very famous painting, The Scream, which was stolen on August 22nd, is finally recovered from a raid by Norwegian police. The painting was said to be in better than expected condition, so they didn't have to do a ton of touch-ups, I think restoring it actually wasn't that big of a deal. The reason why I found this one so interesting, Mike, is because if you recall, when we discussed Green Day's album Dookie, which was February 1994, we had a news story about the scream being stolen in Oslo in that month. So this painting just gets stolen, like, I guess once a decade? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay, the first time I read this, I thought that it had been stolen for 10 years but oh no what's the point because everybody knows that painting it's not like some conspicuous thing that you can sell and you won't get found out right yeah well that's the funny thing i was reading up a little bit about it and these guys stole it and i think they didn't have anything to do with it they all got caught and i was just thinking well yeah of course they still have it like who are they going to sell it to i don't know i don't know what the end game is i haven't personally thought that far ahead and i don't think these guys did either it would appear not this is to you and to the audience but if you're looking for a great docuseries have you seen this is a robbery the world's biggest art heist on netflix i have not what's that one about it's a couple episodes long it's about this museum in boston where a bunch of different stuff was stolen one night and has never been recovered so it's all about how the mob was probably involved they revisit like the scene of the crime and it was a crazy story. It was like before high-tech security. So pretty much these guys just went in dressed as cops and like hassled the security guard to gain access. It's a pretty incredible story. So, Wow. 
and they did steal some notable works. There was a Monet that was taken, but it was by notable artists, I should say, not like the Scream, which is one of the most famous works of art of all time. So, so you could potentially get away with it and sell it and not get totally busted for it. Yeah, but I think what? Well, I guess you should just watch it because it, it's more interesting than me trying to recall it. But I guess we could say that about everything we do on this podcast. <laughs> no, some things are just better when we explain it. That much I know. Just re-listen to these albums on your own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Draw your own conclusions. Play that theme song, Mike. Celebrity wedding. Celebrity wedding. This is one celebrity wedding. On August 30th, billionaire Warren Buffett, at the age of 76, weds longtime companion Astrid Menx, age 60, in Omaha. As I'm sure you could guess, Mike, they are still married to this day. Way to go, Warren and Astrid. Man, those are some old heads getting married, huh? Yeah, even older heads nowadays. Man. <laughs> yeah, way older. Companion, is that a disrespectful thing? Like, like nowadays, I feel like the term partner is really gaining steam. Is companion, that's like a tear down from partner. Like, partners, you're like, this is my equal. Companion, it's like, this is my dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it has to do with age. Like, if it were you or me, we'd be like, oh, my girlfriend. If you're an adult, it's like my partner. And if you're 76 years old, maybe you just say companion. I don't know. Companion's like what you would call the aide that visits your grandparents at the nursing home because yeah. they feel disrespected if you call them, like, their nurse or their aide. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, yeah. grandpa. It's just your companion coming to visit you. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is just uh, Warren Buffett's companion, but I don't know. I feel like she's probably going to make out like a bandit on this one. Yeah, we probably should stop talking smack or we're going to get cut out of the will. Yeah, you're right. Old uh, Uncle Warren. <laughs> and now, Mike, our saddest segment. Cue that theme song. Celebrity deaths were so sad these celebrities died. Amen. On August 23rd, Keenan, two days before my 16th birthday, Ed Warren, an American paranormal investigator, dies at 79. No, you don't say not Ed Warren. Yep, good old Eddie Warren. The most famous American paranormal investigator of all time, Mike? Uh, probably not of all time, but he definitely was famous. I will say this, Mike. When I was looking up the celebrity deaths, this was probably the most famous one that month if you can believe that. But I decided to poke around the internet a little bit. Apparently this guy was legit at what he did. I think they actually inspired the Amityville horror movies and a lot of the Conjuring movies too. Yeah, I do not doubt the nature of his work. I think he probably was good at his job. Unfortunately, I feel like he might have missed like the big boom of the mid-2000s when all of these shows really sprung up everywhere, like Ghost Hunters and all the other shows that aren't Ghost Hunters, but I don't remember the names. <laughs> yeah. Ancient Aliens. Like, weird, like, sci-fi stuff like that, I feel like, was just having its come up then, and poor Mr. Warren passed away right around the same time. Yeah, he did. But I think he inspired paranormal activity movies and shows and things like that. So, thanks, Ed. Getting back to this album, Mike... I do think that the themes of the album are fairly one-dimensional. 
it is just a lot about relationships and what i would guess is probably forest's relationships lead singer and he really dives into the good relationships the bad relationships and the really ugly ones so we kind of get this sense of all of the different relationships within his life that's right keenan it reminded me a little bit of the all-american reject self-titled album in the sense where it's a lot of cool songs but it is kind of regarding all the same subject that said the relationship genre as a whole does have a lot of subgenres that you can choose to sing about there's the one-sided relationships the long distance relationships some bad breakups some young love and some strong love some unhealthy love i guess the starting line kind of had a lot of songs like that too well it's interesting that you mentioned both the starting line and all american rejects because those were some of the younger bands that we discussed. They were younger at the time of recording and releasing these albums. And I do think Forrest wasn't that young. He wasn't in his teens, but he was in his early 20s when this album was released. So I do think it's just a product of him being young. And you hear about these, I would say, less mature relationships, probably because it's coming from somebody who had just gone through his high school and college years, and now he's trying to contemplate all those different types of relationships. And we saw this with something corporate too. Sometimes these guys just start living this pretty famous rock star life at such a young age that a lot of what they have to write about are their lived experiences. So he's not going to write about Warren Buffett marrying his companion. He's going to write <laughs> what he knows. Uh, not yet, at least. Give him a few more years. Now, Mike, did you own this album? I did. I actually was thinking about that this past week. I remember where I bought it. We were in New York City. It was right around the time it was released. And we were in a Barnes & Noble. And I purchased this. As well as OAR's album, Stories of a Stranger. <laughs> Isn't that an odd thing to remember? Yeah. I'm actually like really surprised that you actually remember that. The albums that I buy in person, I really usually remember when i bought them what were you doing in new york was that with your family or was that wasn't on our class trip was it no no it was, so it was 2006 and you know what sometimes we just used to go to new york for the weekend like take the train up and like do a day trip or something i know around that time we went to see les mis so it's possible that was the day that we did that but i don't know just walking around new york saw barnes and noble we always like to pop in there and look at some books and some music and this is a pretty new album at the time and I knew these guys from their EP and I was pretty excited about it so I bought that and um, from there I guess I listened to it pretty consistently it wasn't like one of my favorites but it was always one that I found consistency with it was like a lot of good songs that I kind of had to be in the mood for you know like this type of music you got to be in a peppy upbeat mood so it definitely got a lot of rotation that's cool I'm happy you remember that I personally didn't own this album, but I knew a lot of the songs, and I want to say I probably knew a lot of them from you. And you may have even introduced me to this band with Shimmy Shimmy Quarter Turn. I know that that song, which is on their EP, was kind of their breakout song, and it got a lot of play on like MTV2. That music video was always on, but I feel like you really got me into them. I will say more recently, I actually saw them perform live. This is so random, but they came to Princeton my sophomore year it was fall of 2011 and there's this one day 
it's called lawn parties and all the different eating clubs which are basically like the frats they have their own musical artists and then the university will sponsor like a big musical act and our eating club which was like this really tiny kind of no-name club actually had hello goodbye as the musical artist that year they were playing in my essentially my frat house with maybe 50 to 100 people watching them and i got to meet them afterwards took pictures with them drank some beer with them it was actually really fun so there are pictures online we'll have to share those i don't remember the exact day but i remember getting a couple texts from you saying dude i'm partying with hello goodbye right now yeah. and i was so confused <laughs> it was so wild there had been no heads up saying like oh hello goodbye is playing at my uh, eating club but lo and behold you sent the picture and there you are with the guys just like yeah hanging out in a backyard probably smelly and sweaty and just having a grand old time oh yeah it was great just so funny how that just randomly happened as an adult i was pretty pumped about it wait so if hello goodbye was one of the smaller exclusive acts for your club who was the big act that year so i was actually trying to figure that out i was I did a very quick online search to f- see if I could figure it out, but it was either like B.O.B. or Wiz Khalifa. Okay. I'm not sure if they performed that fall or if they performed in the spring or if it was the following year, but those were the types of artists that were typically there. Third Eye Blind was there. Oh, nice. The following year, which was cool. Newfound Glory actually performed like two years before I got there. So they do get some big names, which is sweet. Awesome. Track number one, All of Your Love. Right away, Mike, what sticks out to you about this song? The word love. <laughs> Is that what sticks out to you? <laughs> no, it's a loaded question. <laughs> no, it doesn't just say what uh, comes to mind. What's different about this band than other bands we've listened to? Definitely the musical components, the synth and keyboards. I don't even know if there's any guitars in there. There's just a lot of electronica music, <laughs> Keenan. notice the auto-tune Forrest loves using auto-tune for his vocals which i don't know are there any other bands at that time that were using it i know t-pain was but any pop punk bands that were using auto-tune i was trying to think and my timelines might be all mixed up but i i thought of bands like cobra starship and owl city 
And I don't know if those bands came out around the same time or afterwards, but for the most part, no, I, I think it was kind of a unique thing to these guys. And also, might I add, he didn't necessarily need to use autotune. Like, he has a pretty good voice from the songs where you can hear it, and it's like, this is a, he's a good singer. Yeah, he is. I think it was just an artistic preference. But mm-hmm. one band actually did come to mind. Panic of the Disco had a couple songs mm-hmm. where he used autotune. I, I guess that would be the one outlier. But for the most part, yeah, it's totally different. This was their second single, wasn't it, Mike? That's right, Keenan. Interestingly, though, there wasn't a music video for this song. Could you find one? No, I couldn't. I noticed that, too. I don't think there is one. So it's a single, but not. this was not one that I was as familiar with as the other ones, because usually I'm a fiend for those music videos. Yeah, you're addicted. So this one, obviously, as we mentioned, is about a relationship. What type of relationship did you get from this, Mike? This relationship is over, as far as I'm concerned, Keenan. It sounds like something that came and went, and this guy is obsessing, not necessarily about getting her back, although he would love that, but he's also wondering what she's up to now, and if she's still happy, or happier, or is she miserable like he is, because he seems to be in some pretty dire straits. Yeah, he definitely is. And I was trying to figure out why this relationship ended, because they do mention distance several times in the song, don't they? Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering if it was physical distance, like if somebody moved away and they had to break up because of that, or if it was more emotional type of distance that they were just kind of growing apart. But no, you're totally right. I think it's two people who used to be in love, fell out of love, and now the guy is trying to hold on to that love. I thought maybe some of the things that came out in the song, Mike, could have just been his natural insecurities because obviously after a breakup you feel some type of insecurity but parts of the song almost got to the point of being like creepy or stalkerish like he comes across as very clingy always wondering where she is who she's with it's very eerie isn't it yeah and i hate to say it keenan but i think that the theme will come across (laughs) in a couple of these songs yeah there's a lot of lines that on one hand i'm like I could imagine being a 15-year-old girl and thinking this is romantic. But on the other hand, as a 31-year-old grown man, I'm like, all right, easy, buddy. Like, come on. Life goes on, son. And I feel like his thoughts and actions are typically a turnoff to most women. I think being just that invested, where it's over-the-top investment, I feel like that would turn a lot of people away. But as we discussed, Mike, this relationship's already over, so I guess he has nothing to lose. That's the truth. You mentioned you weren't sure if he's describing a physical closeness or an emotional closeness or a physical distance or emotional distance. There was one line that I thought was interesting. He says, you can't be close enough unless I'm feeling your heartbeat. Ooh, Pretty intense. And I was wondering, do you think he's talking about resting his head on this woman's bosom? Or is he just listening to her heart with a stethoscope? (laughs) When you were thinking about asking me that question, did you do that because you just wanted to say the word bosom? I've been waiting 20, how many episodes? Yeah. 27 episodes to say the word bosom. Well, there you go. There's your opportunity. No, Mike, I think that uh, he's just her doctor. Yeah. This is a doctor-patient type of relationship, and uh, he just wants to be able to hear it through the stethoscope. I think you're exactly right about that. You don't really hear somebody's heartbeat that often. 
besides my own? I mean, I, I guess, but like, I mean, I've been married for over three years now, and I usually don't lean over and be like, honey, let me just listen to your heart. Well, that's because you guys just aren't physically close enough. I guess not. <laughs> or emotionally close enough. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Not like uh, Forrest and his ex-girlfriend here. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you guys are heading that way. Oh, no. Just don't be clingy, and then you'll win her back. Don't worry. The nice thing about being together with somebody for a long time is you get less and less clingy every day. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's the opposite, just pushing further and further away. Yeah. Well, this was a very creepy way to start the <laughs> album, Mike, but hey, it's a few days after Halloween, tis the season. On to the next one. Track number two, Here in Your Arms. drive in your car I like where we are here I don't know if I remember this one do you remember this one <laughs> psych this one was huge Mike I do remember this one, Keenan. It was the first single. I think probably still their biggest song to date. It's the one I hear most associated with them when these guys come up in conversation, which, as we know, is quite often. <laughs> Literally every day, Mike. And I thought this was a nice change of pace from the songs we usually discussed. This one, I didn't get creepy vibes. I just thought this was a pretty nice, straightforward love song. No normal tropes about hating somebody or fighting or whatever. It was just a guy saying, I really love you and here's where I'm happiest. It's when I'm with you in the car, blah, 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 in your arms, etc., etc. So a nice, uplifting change of pace, I think. Yeah, definitely a more positive relationship song on this album. Musically, it was cool because it was different than what we were listening to. It verged on almost like dance pop, had some cool kind of techno vibes to it. Like there was so much more going on than your typical pop punk jam back then. And so that's why the song always stood out. And I think that's why people liked it. I think it had a broader appeal because it was more poppy than punk. It was musically very layered. and. Going back to Forrest's use of the auto-tune, I think its use in the chorus of this song is maybe my favorite on the album. Like, it's such a classic chorus and so catchy. And while his voice sounds great in more stripped-down songs, for this one, it makes perfect sense to throw that in there. Lyrically, when I was reading through the lyrics and listening to it, it was hilariously repetitive, though. I guess I never really sang along to it that much, but... It does kind of use the same lyrics over and over again throughout the song. It does. And 
spoiler alert, I feel like there's a lot of tracks like that, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. No. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? Yeah. If you can say what you want to say in fewer words, so be it. And I think that goes to show that for a lot of the bands we talk about, we really hone in on the lyrics, especially last week and diving into that MCR album. Sometimes it's okay to just appreciate the music, too, which I think with these guys, you have to do because the lyrics. (laughs) Go ahead. The lyrics. The lyrics are limited, Keenan. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Okay, that's fair, Mike. Yeah. Is that nice? So as you said, this is the story of young love, Mike. Do you remember your first real girlfriend? Sure I do, Keenan. It was, I think it was between middle school and high school. It was a summer love, which Mm. we'll see in the music video when we get there. (laughs) Yeah, we will. We'll see in a couple seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Right now. Yeah. No, but yeah, so it was a a summer thing and uh, happy to say still friends to this day. So it was like... That's amazing. That's a lot of time that's gone by. It was not necessarily like a serious thing. We were young and had our lives ahead of us, Keenan. so... Beautiful, Mike. And she just got married. Congratulations. <laughs> she sure did. You know did. who you are. <laughs> she sure did. We're both now happily married, which is always nice to see. Not with each other. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes life just takes its course, Keenan. You know, we, we come into people's lives and just drift away. But I'm definitely happy in my current marriage. <laughs> Why are you winking so much right now, Mike? Do you have something <laughs> in your eye? You okay? Wait, are you going to tell me about your first girlfriend, or is it your babysitter again? (laughs) Well, she was my first love. It was pretty serious. (laughs) It was extremely serious. Uh, I think my first serious girlfriend was freshman year of high school. Mm. So around the same time as me. Yeah, I think we're all falling in love around the same time. But Yeah. yeah, I think I met her through our mutual friends who all went to the Mount. She went to the Mount St. Joe's Academy. MSJA. That's right. Spasmesis in Semine. Mm-hmm. It's their motto. Founders Day. That's right. Yeah. Nice. My wife's an alumna. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And oh, dude, Abby probably was her classmate. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. That's wild. We should ask Abby about her. I've never made that connection before, which I should have. But yeah, we dated for like, I don't know, six months. Didn't go anywhere. Broke up. And uh, I'm not married. I don't know if she is either. Maybe I'll check in on that, Mike not a bad idea keenan <laughs> you were not to ooh, not to put anything out there ladies but oh, i boy. feel like you were a girlfriend guy like eh. no i feel like you consistently had a girlfriend throughout at least high school i'm not sure about college but it wasn't that many i'm just saying that you usually had a girlfriend yeah maybe a little bit i got into this bad habit of dating people for like exactly 10 months <laughs> like any girl i ever dated i think i've dated maybe Four or five serious girls. <laughs> Not serious girls. I've had maybe four or five serious girlfriends. <laughs> they were very stern, though. She doesn't like fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but every relationship has lasted, like, just under a year, which is crazy. Every single one? Pretty much, yeah. It's a little bizarre, actually. Oh, my God. So you got to get so scared when that anniversary comes knocking? <laughs> I think I'm almost self-sabotaging at this point. It's like... Well, I'm not going to bother buying a gift because <laughs> yeah. I know what's going to happen. Never make it to that one year mark. But yeah, I'm just trying to get out of gift giving, Mike. That's what it's about. I'm trying to save a little quiche. That's smart. 
And then the music video, Mike. I think this was a pretty big music video back then. And upon rewatch, I remembered it pretty vividly. I think it was a pretty good one. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, Keenan. Really appreciated it now as well. It was directed by Fred Savage. Did you know that? I didn't, but he's done a couple things over the years. Uh, Kevin Arnold from The Wonder Years back in the day. I know he's directed a couple Always Sunny episodes. And he seems like just a generally pretty decent guy. Brother of Ben Savage from Boy Meets World, of course. Of course. Of course, of course. It's a summer camp, which is always fun. It takes place in the summer of 91, which we see on the camp sign as the video begins. The camp is called Camp Oladios, which translates directly to Hello, God, but also could translate to Hola, Adios, which is Hello, Goodbye in Spanish. Yeah, I was going to say, it has to be a play on Hello, Goodbye, not, <laughs> not Hello, God. <laughs> but it's fun. It's just the normal camp stuff. Some great 90s references. There's a Pogs tournament going on. Ah, oh, love Pogs. There's guys just shoveling Big League Chew into their mouth. Delicious. And there's a lot of references or homages to Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, I noticed that too. We see Forrest playing the Michael Showalter role as like the guy that's kind of had this bit of an obsession with this girl all summer. And then there's this big, at least I took it as like this end of camp dance. And it's finally his chance to kiss this girl he sees other people all over camp are finding love and hooking up and he's like this is my one chance and uh hopefully you've had some time to watch the music video yourself but spoilers he does end up kissing this chick all over the dance floor keenan <laughs> yeah it gets pretty aggressive but you know that's a big w for uh for the normal average dude wins the hottie in the end it sure is the kissing does get a bit aggressive, and I also just want to take a quick moment to point out how in this song, it doesn't really talk about kissing. Boris says, can our lips touch here? <laughs> yeah. There's nothing more romantic than that, Mike. Can you imagine going up to a girl instead of saying, can I kiss you right now? Just saying, can our lips touch here? Is that wrong? Because that's the only thing that I do. Maybe if you're trying to kiss another robot, Keenan. Oh, got me. Affirmative. That's what I do with all my girlfriends on our uh, 10-month anniversary. I ask to just touch lips with them. <laughs> Don't uh, make fun of it because uh, I hate to say it, but I've noticed a couple more times lines like this get used throughout the album. Oh, God, yeah. Is that ex is that something to look forward to? <laughs> I can't wait, Mike. <laughs> Track number three, All Time Lows. Oh, I have a quick intro doppelganger here, Mike, mm. before we even launch into it. Have you ever heard of the band Houston Calls? Is that that band that you and Shane love? Yeah, it is. I've listened to their stuff before, briefly, because I know you guys really, really love them, but I couldn't tell you songs or doppelgangers, that's for certain. Well, it's interesting because they are a similar sounding band. They both have a synth or a keyboardist, so that's one element to the band. They have a similar kind of synthy pop style to them. And there's this one song by Houston Calls called Exit Emergency. And there's a part in the song that sounds very similar to this song. Listen to the Houston Calls one. 
And then listen to the synth riff in the Hell Goodbye song. So they are pretty similar. I mean, who knows if they influenced each other. But what I will say, Mike, is they were both on the same label at the same time. They're both signed to Drive Through, mm. And they actually toured together pretty extensively through these years. I looked it up and almost every tour that Hello Goodbye went on for like a five-year span around this album, Houston Calls was supporting them. So wow. I don't know. Isn't that kind of weird? They actually do have some crazy connections and they probably knew each other very well. So I don't know. They probably just influenced each other naturally that could be that could be a fun little joke like hey we're gonna play a little bit of your song and our song yeah classic joke mike (laughs) (laughs) but that doppelganger side i actually really did like this song this is a great song I like this one too. It's definitely a standout for me. It's one that I remember listening to many moons ago. Sometimes as albums go on, I remember the later songs less and less because for whatever reason, I just listen to the front half of albums more. But yeah, this is a good one. Another upbeat, fun, poppy, synthy song and a little bit of a change in theme. It's still love and relationship related, but kind of based around weather references and weather analogies. And who does that remind you of, Mike? Off the top of my head. Reliant K's High of 75 is the one that always comes to mind. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. A lot of kind of similar lines, like pretty much how the weather controls your emotions. In this song specifically, it's a summer fling or a summer love interest. At least that's the idea I got. And he's trying to make the most of it before fall comes around and things get cold or fade away. He's worried that this admiration between the two of them will just change with the seasons. I got a similar vibe. I thought it could have been a summer fling, and I really want it to be a summer fling because we've seen it so many times. Like, Newfound Glory had a song about a summer fling, as I'm sure you remember. But I also thought it could have been a metaphor. Like, I thought the seasons could be a metaphor for their relationship. Mm, There you go. Yeah, like, the summer feels like this honeymoon phase, and... He knows that their relationship is limited time-wise because most relationships end up coming to an end. And he just feels the cold weather moving in. He feels like this relationship is on its way out. It's, It's close to the end. But the song's all about living in the present and enjoying the relationship for what it is. Not really worrying about the future of the relationship. Not sweating the small stuff. So I thought it was a positive message. It was like, okay, this might not last like the seasons are ever changing. This relationship might morph and change, but... 
I'm going to enjoy it while it's good. Just the, all the talk of the seasons, you know what I think of right away? The Four Seasons, Frankie Valley. Okay, yeah, I, I can think of them, but not right away. I thought of oh, 500 okay. Days of Summer. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Kind of similar. It just so happens that Zoe Deschanel's named Summer in that movie. That's right. But, uh, you know, it just follows the timeline of a relationship. Sometimes it starts off strong and then fades away, and it just is what it is. You know, short-lived, but ever so sweet, Keenan. Ever so sweet indeed. Yeah, you're totally right, Mike. Also, Mike, the title of the song, All Time Lows, is that a Newfound Glory reference? They could also be referencing the band All Time Low, but I think All Time Low is still in the up and up around this time. But maybe Newfound Glory reference. Well, we found out that All Time Low took their name from Newfound Glory, so possible this song took its name from the Newfound Glory song as well. There was a couple possible references throughout the song. Do you want me to run down a couple others? Heck yeah, I do. So there was the all-time low. Forrest also says bright-eyed, which I thought might be a reference to Bright Eyes, Connor Oberst and that band, or possibly Total Eclipse of the Heart, that classic song, Turn Around Bright Eyes. Which one do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking me or asking the audience? <laughs> Let's do our famous poll. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, by the way, thanks for answering all those polls, guys. We really appreciate that. <laughs> we've really solved a lot of these uh arguments and then they also said only in dreams which is a weezer song so i wasn't sure if it was you know directly inspired by that weezer song or if it's an expression that they just so happen to use i think you're just hearing what you want to hear mike <laughs> okay no, i'm just kidding i do also want to say <laughs> having given them a little bit of a hard time on the last song i do want to give them credit for one of my favorite lines on the album tattoo line or just random not my line? tattoo line just okay they play with words in a way that we haven't seen as much again i think of reliant k in the way that they like to make references and like things tie together with their wordplay but the line may as well polaroid her the way i stare so a cooler way of saying take a picture it will last longer yeah that is really cool they kind of fit these lines in based on their rhyme and what fits with the rest of the lyrics. But, you know, just got to give them a little shout out where it's due. Track number four, Stuck to You. Is this song about glue, Mike? Keenan, this is actually a great song about the 2003 comedy starring Matt Damon and Greg Kinnear. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Is that where they're uh, conjoined twins? That's right. Yeah. How okay. can you forget about it? That's what this song's all about. Oh, yeah, you're right. My bad. No, Michael.
This song had a totally different sound to it. I was equating this song when I was listening to it with, and I hope you'll understand this when I say it, Mike, but it sounded like a the band to me. Do you know what I mean? Like the hives or the vines, like less poppy, more alternative sounding, maybe slightly more basic musically, kind of monotone at times. Yeah, this would be their one song that really got a lot of airplay and then you would never hear from them again. Like all those bands had one big song, I feel like. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like Franz Ferdinand, Hot Hot Heat. I feel like all these kind of bands at this time. Yes, I agree with you. Short answer, yes, I agree okay. with what you're saying. <laughs> I like this tangent though. I want to hear you. I want to hear you talk more about it. Who can name more uh, 2004 one-hit wonder <laughs> yeah, bands? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, but this sounded like one of those songs that it could have fallen right into that category. This one, I think, was similar to probably the first song. He's missing his girlfriend. There's some sort of distance between them. I thought this one was actually about physical distance. And specifically, I thought it could have been about when he's on tour. He's away from home. He's going all over the country, and he just misses the person he's with. And he describes it very dramatically. He feels like he's dying, that he just can't be with her for a couple weeks or a couple months. It's like the first song in the sense where it's just a little bit too over the top for my liking. Yeah. We get it, man. Like, yeah, it stinks being away from those you love. But Yeah, sucks being away from home, dude. It'll be okay. I thought it was a nice message, but similar to the first song, it does come across as somewhat like desperate or clingy at times. Very clingy. Like he's almost trying to convince himself that things will be all right and that they'll survive this extended break away from one another you mentioned you thought it could possibly be about when the band's on tour i agreed mostly because they have a line about that being what it's about yeah but the line is i'd quit the tour but i'm already dead i was wondering do you think that's a reference to blink 182's adam song the line the tour was over we'd survived wow yeah. So he's saying he's not going to survive. He would quit the tour, but he's already dead. Yeah. I think it so, really could be. Yeah. That's pretty cool. These guys are smart. I feel like it's definitely intentional sometimes. That's really cool because I would have never picked up on these subtle references. But yeah, the more you read it, the more you listen to it, I think these are all pretty accurate. You're so smart, Mike. Thanks, Keenan. Have you ever done the long distance thing? From all the pop punk songs I've heard, it sounds miserable. I haven't done it much. There were a couple times in my life where I've done it. I think the most serious one was probably when I was living in Washington, D.C., and my girlfriend was in New Jersey. And so that was doable. Like, we would see each other maybe every couple weekends. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't too bad. And then I was in Massachusetts for a little while. She was still in New Jersey. So I was always, like, on the same coast. I don't know. It wasn't great. It did kind of suck, but it wasn't, like, the end of the world. Especially for something when you know it's not forever. It's one thing to be like, well, I'm moving out here for work or something and likely will never come back. So unless you decide to join me one day, we can see how long this works out for. My long distance was, looking back on it, was very short distance. I was at Penn State and Abby lived in Hershey doing a year of nursing school. So it's like... Isn't that like an hour? <laughs> yeah. But it was still like we didn't we only saw each other on weekends, so right, yeah, it was still not as fun, not as much time spent together. It's always tough, but 
It made the weekends even more special, so I hope for Forrest's sake, when he gets home from tour, he appreciates his love even more if she hasn't run for the hills because he's a complete freakazoid. <laughs> freakazoid. Uh, now your long distance, Mike, is uh, when she's in the bedroom and you're in the bathroom. Yeah. Long distance. It's very long distance. It's a small house, Keenan. But <laughs> we know. fill it with love. Yes, you do. Track number five, Homewrecker. Oh, is that Jack? Yeah. No, I don't like that song. That's what Jack sounds like. He's pissed. He's pissed? No. No. (laughs) So give him candy corn. Abby just texted me, I'm watching my movie and ignoring him sorry if he's in the background of ppp (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's funny track number five homewrecker covered quite a few relationships at this point mike i think this one is another breakup probably right it sure seems that way keenan when i first read the song title i had assumed that this girl was a home wrecker in the traditional sense of like somebody that comes in and breaks up a marriage by being the person that one of the spouses cheats on right yeah or cheats with i should say but in reading the lyrics i came to find out that he kind of is describing her as somebody who literally wrecked his life. Yeah. She's literally and physically destroying a house that he had built. I assume that that's just an analogy that he's using. Like, she's tearing down this house is the same as the way that she probably tore down this relationship that he spent so much time building. They describe her breaking into safes, stealing things, messing with electricity, breaking the fire alarms. It's all a very unique way to explain the end of a relationship, and how she has damaged him permanently. Right. It was a metaphor he used, but he really took it all the way. Like, he didn't just use it for one line. Like, similar to what we saw with the weather earlier on this album. Yeah. It's like, this song, every line's just going to be about uh, home privacy and security <laughs> measures and yeah, the structural integrity of a home and how... I learned a lot about a house in this song. <laughs> yeah, he <you> really did. <laughs> He didn't spare any details, which is great. So I guess we find ourselves back in the same spot. Forrest is once again left alone and wondering where did everything go wrong? This time around, he seems to feel that she was manipulative and took advantage of him. It doesn't seem like she's a person that he wants back in his life anytime soon. No, it sounds like she has broken him down beyond repair. Not unlike this house, Mike. Yeah, his house now sucks, and (laughs) I guess, again, I'm not sure if this was literal or not, but he looks next door and sees that she's now hooking up with his neighbor. Yeah, 
I thought that was pretty funny. He's like spying on them from across the way. So convenient for her. Brings a whole new meaning to the term girl next door, I guess. <laughs> That's for sure. I wasn't sure he could have been using it in a biblical sense. Like, love thy neighbor. Like, not his literal next door neighbor, just <laughs> his equal, maybe a friend of his that she now moved on to. Yeah, could be. But in her effort to hook up with Forrest's neighbor, we do have <laughs> our next time that we see kissing described in their interesting way. Do you want to hear this line? Oh, yeah, let me hear it. He says, and as I try to sleep, glance next door, and all I see is his lips touching yours. Dude, why does he always do that? <laughs> Can't just say, it's because yours rhymes with doors, but. I think he just has a very unhealthy relationship with kissing. Yeah, more lips touching. Oh, it's so weird. It's just weird that he's done it so many times. Once, I can kind of forgive it, but now it's multiple occasions. Right, that's what keyed me off on it because i'm like i feel like i've heard a line like this before it's like oh yeah just a couple songs ago (laughs) yeah and every time i hear it i think of have you ever seen those shows on like tlc where it's like the people are getting married but they've never kissed or hooked up or whatever i forget what it was called but yeah those are very awkward yeah there was this video circulating online a couple years ago it's like their first kiss on their wedding day was the first time they had ever kissed and it's just like this disgusting kind of makeout session as their first kiss. And that's literally lips touching. Right. I'm saying those people that have never kissed or had any sort of like idea of what kissing involves, they probably think oh, it's just lips touching, right? It's like, well, it's not that complicated, but there is more to it than that. So you're suggesting that maybe Farris just has never kissed a girl. Could be. I mean, <laughs> who's to say? Well, we said in the. Here in your arms music video, he was desperate to kiss a girl, so... That's true. His uh, concept of kissing is evolving as this album goes on, maybe. A lot of growth here, Mike. Track number six. Oh, It Is Love. Oh, say I love you so, but you know, oh, you know you can trust. We'll be holding hands once again. Oh, broken plans I will mend. Hold you tight so you know It is love From the first Time I press my hand Into yours Thinking of Is your love This was a good one, Mike. A little slow jam as a pacer in the album. Yeah, I've always liked this one. It's Another just nice, solid love song. Nothing too malicious or double-natured about it. It's just him showing his appreciation for a person he cares about. Through song. Through song. Through ukulele music. This is the first time we hear ukulele. And I think over the years, hasn't Hello Goodbye sort of become famous for using ukulele in songs? They've done it several times, haven't they? Yeah. They have. I think they actually have a ukulele covers album. No, they don't. I think, I mean, I was looking through Spotify. They might, yeah. Oh, wow. I thought you were kidding at first. I was just laughing at you (laughs) saying they became famous for using ukuleles. No, I said that they were known for it. Right, right. Um, According to you, they literally have a ukulele covers album. That's famous for using the ukulele. (laughs) Let me just... uh, Yeah, let's fact check this before we commit. 
They have a lot of <laughs> crap on Spotify. Okay, so 2008, the album's just called Hello Goodbye Ukulele Recordings. Oh, there you go. Okay, so that's confirmed. So it's three songs, so it's not a coverage album. Oh, but good enough, though. Right, to your point, obviously that is an instrument that they have become associated with, which isn't one that we typically see on the albums we discuss. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's cool. That's unique. <laughs> I think we're agreeing on everything. I'm not, oh, okay. I'm not sure if we're arguing or agreeing. But... No, I'm, I'm not arguing okay. with you. All right. We're on the same page here. I was just laughing at, they're famous for that. Like, you <laughs> walk into are. a bar and you overhear somebody saying, oh, yeah, those ukulele guys, hello, goodbye. That's all. I've heard people say that at bars. That's why I'm saying it. Yeah, because the bars you went to, they had just seen them at your eating club. That's true. That's a really good point. So what I do like about this song, and you said it's just a good love song, and I totally agree with you, but I think it tells a cool story of the evolution of a relationship. It starts out with young love early in the song. Maybe it's like a love at first sight type of situation Mm -hmm. where they're infatuated with each other. They can't get enough. They're stuck in this honeymoon phase. Then by, I think it's the second verse, clearly the relationship has matured a bit. They have to spend some time apart which is normal in a relationship, but it obviously sucks. And then finally, towards the end of the song, it's that time to make the big decision of whether or not they're going to get married, or if they're not going to get married, they need to just move on and find other people. So it's a cool evolution. I think it's a story song, as we've seen before, and we love a good story song, Mike. We sure do. And this one's interesting, like you said, I did always get this warm and fuzzy feeling because we've discussed it before, but those first stages of a relationship are always the most exciting and everything's just new. And it's like you're finding out about this person and really coming to care about them. So and then continuing with that idea, of you know, you start growing together and then sometimes friction occurs and you need to figure out if you're built to last or not. And it's funny that you had mentioned thinking about, you know, whether you should get married to this person, because I don't know if you remember this show, but this song always reminds me of the MTV show Engaged and Underage. Oh, yeah, I think I do remember that one. It was an awful show in the same vein as, like, Teen Mom. Oh, yeah. That was on back in, like, around when this album came out, like, 2007. And for whatever reason... I saw an episode of it one time, and this was the theme song of that show. Oh, was it really? This was the intro song, yeah. Oh, that's wild. Maybe that's why I watched it, because it could have just been on. Like, I doubt I tuned in specifically for that program. Oh, God, I hope not. But I was like, oh, I love this song. And I will say, engaged and underage is a really risky thing to search on the internet. (laughs) It doesn't automatically (laughs) populate in Google. So for... A second, I was like, oh my god, does this exist? (laughs) Like, what am I misremembering here? Oh boy. But there's clips all over YouTube, so... Okay, that's good news. The underage part is completely misleading, because in the Wikipedia entry, it says that all the people on the show are ages 18 to 22, so they're just young. Oh, that's not that young. Yeah, they're not underage. Like, that word is so, like, dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, these days, you can't just throw that word around yeah not like you could back then mike when i was trying to remember what that show was i'm like okay so it was what (laughs) two 13 year olds getting married or something now that would be a tv show but i couldn't find the intro on 
YouTube. I just know that it, there's places that it's written that this was the intro. So, well, I hope they only played the first verse when it's the love at first sight honeymoon phase verse. I hope it's not the falling out of love. Uh, let's decide if we want to move on verse. Although I'm sure those relationships often ended that way. Oh yeah, all of those relationships are just going off the rails. And really, <laughs> it's like I'm pretty sure it's just a show where everybody in their families are telling them don't do this don't do this and yeah. we'll include this in the show notes but i saw this one 30 second clip it was like next week on engaged and underage and the girl and the guy are like obviously fighting or crying and the guy's like i promise baby i'm not gonna go out and, and party no more and then it cuts to him just going oh, like in the middle of a bar like <laughs> shit-faced and i'm like yeah that's like, totally expected all those shows were so like manipulative like kind of sad oh yeah big time and one final thought keenan there's more lip on lip action in this song oh my god can you believe it i honestly cannot believe it but i'm starting to believe it more and more i couldn't believe it either but and this is one of the more prominent lip on lip action lines from the album oh it is love from the first time i pressed my lips against yours Maybe we're missing something, Mike. Maybe this is how you're supposed to kiss. And maybe this is how you're supposed to talk about kissing. I feel like he describes kissing the way, like, Marilyn Monroe signed autographs. Like, where <laughs> you just, like, press your lips to the paper to leave your, uh, you know, your lip mark on something. Yeah. Maybe that's how you're supposed to do it. Like, I remember when I was little, I would get autographs of the princesses at Disney World, and they would, like, kiss their autograph or something. Oh, yeah. This is that same, like, five-year-old idea of what kissing is. Like, just lips yeah. pressing against different things. I subscribe to it, though. I, I feel good about it. Track number seven, Baby, It's Fact. Just in case they're wondering They've got us pinned terribly They don't believe our love is real Cause they don't know how real love is You should know it's true This, I believe, was the third single of the album. I've seen it described as a sweeping orchestral pop. Have you ever heard that term before, Mike? No, I think that might be a first, Keenan. <laughs> well, that's what the internet says, so I'm going to roll with it. But I did like that this song had a lot of instrumentation to it. It was very theatrical. It reminded me a lot of a Panic! at the Disco song, just with big, booming instruments in the background that you don't normally hear. Mmm, I said it reminded me of a Panic! at the Disco song. There you go. This was, when I mentioned earlier that Hello Goodbye kind of reminds me of Panic! at times, this song always was like, that's an interesting sound, and the closest companion I can find in the bands we've discussed is Panic! at the Disco, so. Yeah, that's what I immediately thought listening to it. Cool. So the theme on this one I thought was actually kind of funny. I did like the song, but the theme was a little juvenile. It seems like it's him trying to convince other people that his love for this girl is real. 
which was a very high school phenomenon. Like people are talking behind your back, trying to figure out if these two are dating, you're trying to keep it a secret. I don't know. It's just, it's not something that really resonates with me today, but I think in middle school and high school, that was probably a thing. Like the rumor mill talking about who's together and who's not. Yeah. It's kind of a nice continuation of the previous song. Like, this young love and is it for real and will it blossom or you know what will become of it and a lot of times like the families in the engaged and underage show the people in your life don't think that it's something real or worthwhile or worth pursuing and that's frustrating to the protagonist in this one because he just wants everybody to see what he sees which is this thing has a chance of lasting forever okay it's not just some high school sweetheart thing it's like uh i married my high school sweetheart thing i got the sense that this song was like older people trying to give younger people advice about love and oftentimes older people are right about love like look at that tv show i love that we're just referencing this tv show now for (laughs) for every song (laughs) as if it's like the authority on love but oftentimes those older people are right when they're advising like 17 18 19 year olds on love i always wondered at what point does a parent feel the need to step in because most of the time like yes they're right like relationships we had when we're younger aren't gonna last forever so is it really your job to step in and be like what the hell are you doing with her kid or what are you doing with him because it'll usually just run its course right well until you're uh what's the other tv show on mtv uh 18 and pregnant. Teen mom. Yeah. <laughs> teen, mom. teen mom. Yeah. Until you're teen mom. I think those are the parents that didn't step in, Mike. So that's true. Uh, I think it might be a good idea. <laughs> in this case, though, I mean, I feel like we know Forrest at this point in the album. He seems like a nice guy. And I'm sure whatever girl he's engaging with is a nice girl. So mm. maybe they should just. Do you remember all those earlier songs about him, like, creeping on the girl and staring at her outside her house? Oh, that's true. Yeah. He is. We have established that he's creepy, so... He can be a creep, so I don't know. All right, fine, Forrest. Maybe these people are right. I mean, I would side with him, but who's to say, you know? I think we'll give him the benefit of the doubt on this one. The lyrical depth of this song is pretty shallow, would you say? Yeah, I think I'd agree with you on that. (laughs) (laughs) I like it, though. Baby, it's fact that our love is true. The way black is black and blue is just blue. Hey, you can't argue with that. I mean... Their love is as clear as daylight, Mike. That's right. You don't think we're in love? Well, these are colors. (laughs) Is that blue? Well, then yes, we are in love. (laughs) You can't argue that fact, Mike. It's fact, baby. And then what'd you think of the music video, Mike? Couple of bros running for student council? That's relatable. It is relatable. It's a classic high school thing, Keenan, where Forrest, the nerdy, sensitive guy, is running against... I think the guy is literally named... Not Chad, but Blake, which is another mm, quintessential Chad type name, though. Exactly, and I'm not really sure why Forrest is even running, other than he likes this girl, and Blake was running unopposed, and he said he would run against Blake. Didn't he like accidentally raise his hand in the music video, and they're like, "Yeah, okay, Forrest, you were running then. something like that." Yeah, it was a, and it was actually kind of a funny music video. Like the teacher was kind of funny in it. But from there, it got a little, not confusing, I think just a little bit dumb. Um, <laughs> Forrest ends up losing. Blake wins, obviously, because he's he has friends, and they vote for him. 
But then Forrest, to get back at Blake, decides that he's going to play a song on the football field and cancel football practice by playing the song and win the girl back who had fallen for Blake because he won. Does that sum it up pretty good? <laughs> yeah, that was a good summary. Uh, hey, if you got my practice canceled when I was on the football team, I'd be pretty pumped. So, yeah, I think this may have backfired for uh, good old Forrest here. Oh, the girl's name is Wendy. I should mention that because... Why? I don't know. Just instead of calling her the girl. No, let's keep calling her the girl. <laughs> but that's it. So if it sounds stupid, it's because it is. But <laughs> this obviously takes place in a high school setting, Keenan. But I remember when we were in middle school, there was a very prominent presidential run for our eighth grade student council. Do you recall that? Oh, I recall it vividly. Do you mean the uh, Clark versus Rokino election? Mm. Yeah. That's it. That was a big one. You won, right? You were the class president. You bet I was, Mike. Sorry, Samantha Rokino. I know I voted for you. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Cat's out of the bag. <laughs> she knows now. I love Sam, too, actually. Those are two pretty good choices. Do you think it was one of those things where, like, the boys voted for the boy and the girls voted for the girl? <laughs> because the the boys had like one more kid in the class, I won. Yeah, could yeah. Have been the case for sure. Was that a school wide election or eighth graders only? That was everybody who was in like middle school voted. I think it was like sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, maybe fifth through eighth grade, something like that. Wow. So it was a portion of the school. But I do remember basically everybody in the Gummy Bear Warriors, our band, mm-hmm. won a seat. Like we ran student council. It was like. Me, president, Dave Dixon, vice president, Tubes was... Was he finance? Was he the treasurer? Yeah, yeah treasurer. finance. Paul was the... Wasn't he like the safety I think he guy? was like safety and environmental. Yeah. Or something Safety weird like and that. ecology or something. Because his... I remember his... He was safety man. Remember he had that bit where he was like safety man? <laughs> yeah, his campaign was just... He did a dance. Like his speech was he did a dance and he said, be safe. That's right. Be safe. I remember that. That was me. Remember me and Dave were like part of it. Student council president, vice president, like totally unfair for us to be a part of his campaign. But yeah, so rigged. Yeah, it was great. So we basically ran that school eighth grade, which obviously they were better for it. What was your big piece of legislation? Like, what was your legacy that you got passed through there? Oh, I passed some stuff. <laughs> Five extra minutes on recess. That was a big one. That's I got huge. through. That's huge. Uh. Nap time. That was a good one. Remember nap time? <laughs> nap time for eighth grade. <laughs> yeah. Uh, free snacks. Remember free snacks? <laughs> no. No. These are all fake. I would remember that one. I didn't do anything. Nobody did anything. <laughs> you got to wear a cool pin on your blazer, though. <laughs> That's right. People knew I meant business when I walked the halls. <laughs> <laughs> Just shaking hands and kissing babies. That's right. <laughs> no, I was uh, touching my lips to babies, Mike. That's oh, right. that sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded weird. <laughs> uh, I regret saying that already. It's okay. It's uh, um, it's the politician in you. That's right. Yep. Oh man, that was good. Track number eight, figures A and B, means you and me.
I really like this one, Mike, because this one just sounded like an old school pop punk song. Like there's a lot of power chords. It was really upbeat, really fast paced. I like this one. This one was good. This one was good, <laughs> Keenan. <laughs> it was kind of like a short and sweet song, but you're right. It had more of a pop punk foundation than a lot of the other songs. And it continues with that same running theme that we have now in a couple tracks of young love and high school love, like passing notes in class and writing love letters to somebody that you're crushing on, which is always a nice topic to just kind of reflect back on. Yeah, definitely. I think you had mentioned in a previous episode, I think it was the Avril Lavigne episode, where you would like write girls' names or draw pictures of girls that you liked on your whatever pencil case or notebook. Mm. And I thought about that. I thought about him sitting in class, doodling pictures, daydreaming about this girl and their potential future together, which obviously probably did not happen. But it was a cool feeling and brought you back to those days. I also liked the adolescent idea of planning out a date. Before you could even go on dates? Right. Like the line is, it's so far away, but I've planned a date. So I don't know if he means like he's planning on asking her on a date or like he's planned on a specific day on the calendar of when he's gonna like ask her out or tell her about his feelings for her. I don't know. I guess it could be either. Either way, I thought it was amusing thinking of like a 16 year old planning this stuff out like yeah like it matters (laughs) the funny thing is he could be talking about like high school kids like seniors in high school that could actually go on dates but i just kept thinking if you're like passing notes and doodling pictures you're probably middle school but yeah it's like oh my mom's gonna drop me off at the movie theater to meet you and your mom's gonna drop you off like those were dates back then it was usually in groups of people yeah you're right going to the movies was like i always thought that was an odd date anyway because you're just sitting next to people and just staring at a screen and you can't hear each other at all yeah but i guess that is good for any uncomfortable silences like there isn't any because it's just like booming fewer opportunities to mess it up mike (laughs) that's true do you remember in high school your bus stop was outside of a movie theater oh yeah 309 cinema that's right and some days we would just get off the bus and go see a movie heck yeah just you and me no dates we were the date that's not true (laughs) (laughs) maybe no one time we met up with kath uh kathleen dennis and her friends oh yeah you remember that yeah i remember that we saw the exorcism of emily rose yeah very scary it was really scary yeah also mike your favorite segment ever this song has our cooking it up with Susie cook vocab hour oh baby actually i don't even know if it's really vocab but it's just really cool wordplay throughout this song almost the entire song is cool wordplay Agreed. Can I read my favorite wordplay, Mike? I'd be happy to have you do that. <laughs> Why did you say it like that? You could have just said yes. But thank you. That was good wordplay there, Mike. <laughs> I've said yes 50 times this episode, Keenan. Yeah, that's fair. You're spicing it up. Okay, here it is, Mike. Present for a presentation presented presently. There's no I in team, no me and us, no you and we. I'll write down letters inside letters, but I can't let her see. Pass them forward with a forward, but they won't mean a thing.
Whew, man. We're not going to dissect that all, Mike, but how about that? That is pretty cool. Yeah, Susie would be proud of that one. When they use long lines like that, I think they're at their best. Yeah, and they do it throughout this song, Mike, which is cool. Letters inside letters. Would you ever do that when you would like just write like a girl's name, but like write it on all on top of each other, so it was just like a black dot by the time you were done? Yeah, although I <laughs> think that's what he means. I'm pretty sure he's putting letters, like he's writing individual letters and then putting it in like an envelope. It's letters inside letters. Mm, I think he's just <laughs> writing. You think letters. he's just aggressively just writing it over and over again, like some psycho? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would do sure. that sometimes in class. I'd be like, this class fucking sucks, but just write it like on top of each other so nobody could read it, but I knew what it said. <laughs> Did you ever do that? Um, yeah, I guess sometimes. All right, whatever. <laughs> Not enough to uh, immortalize it in a pop punk song. Yeah, I don't think that's what he's getting at, but hey, that's what it reminded me of. Hey, up for interpretation, Mike. That's why we're here. That was some spicy a wordplay, Keenan. Yes, it was, Mike. Track number nine, I saw it on your keyboard. So I listened to this one, obviously, back in the day, and then listening to it now, I was like, this sounds very familiar. And then I realized it kind of uses the song Ode to Joy as, like, the backing music of this one. Did you hear that as well? Yeah, I did. It's actually really funny you mentioned that because I heard a slightly different song. I heard that church song, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Mm. Do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. And I'm now just connecting the dots and realizing that I think Gloria is just the ode to joy. I think they stole that from Beethoven. You know the song I'm talking about, right? It's very likely, yeah. The Gloria. Yeah. Yeah. It's the exact same melody. Let's take a listen to Gloria in a Chelsea's <laughs> no. Deo. <laughs> no, are we actually going to do that? Maybe. No. And then ode to joy, of course, is... um. Dun, 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 dun. I thought that was interesting, though, because around the same time this album came out, more famously, The Killers also used Ode to Joy as the background keyboard or synth music in their single, Mr. Brightside. Is that true? Yeah. The end of that song, it's like Ode to Joy is just playing behind Brendan Flowers' vocals. Wow, I have never made that connection. That could be the doppelganger then. You can just make that connection right now. <laughs> we already have a do- we have like 10 doppelgangers this episode. Most of it is church music. Church music and other pop punk bands that only you and Shane have heard of. That's right. Those are when my doppelgangers are best, when nobody else knows the reference. It's where I really shine. I think it's fun because then I get to actually see if you're right or not. 
True. True. Melody aside, though, I think the theme is just trying to figure out if somebody's into you or not. Although, I might be wrong. Did you get that same idea? The whole, I saw it on your keyboard, and I wasn't sure if he was, like, seeing something she had written about him, like, similar to last song that he wrote about her. I don't know. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, astute analysis there, Mike. (laughs) Yeah, is 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 she writing on my keyboard? Am I writing on her keyboard? Whose keyboards is this? Yeah, that's it, Mike. (laughs) Look, I didn't write the song that said I saw it on your keyboard, okay? I think that is definitely the theme. Very broadly speaking, I think he's trying to figure out if this girl likes him. He's saying that he likes her, and he's trying to figure out if she likes him back. I was poking around a little bit on the internet, and apparently... Back in the day, it said on Helga Bai's website that this song was written for a woman by the name of Star Wick, who was the keyboardist of the band Ozma. Hmm. You know the band Ozma, right? Yeah, they toured with Ozma. Yeah, that's exactly right. So Forrest apparently had a crush on her, or at the very least was very influenced by her musical abilities, the way that she played the keyboard. And I think this was his song that he wrote for her. The very first line of this song... There exists a melody that just might change your mind. She actually had that sticker on her keyboard, apparently. Hmm, okay. And so... Wow. Yeah. So there was no way in hell I was going to get to that analysis. (laughs) Well, if you did your digging, Mike, if you did your homework... Leave me alone. (laughs) I had to go deep into the uh, message boards to find this. I don't even know if it's true, but (laughs) boy, does it sound true. It sounds a little too specific to not be true, so... I'm not like a huge fan of Ozma. I don't really know too many of their songs, but apparently there's also references to Ozma lyrics in this song. So I think there's just too many connections to make it not be true. But I think that's cool. Yeah, that makes sense because there's also a lot of lines where a star is discussed. There exists a star above that always steals my stare. And Oh, that's right. Yeah, I didn't even pick up on that one. Yeah, and I knew at least I might just have a chance to catch a shooting star. So Wow, okay, so it's clear for her. Yeah. That's kind of cool, and that's pretty bold of him to do, but how awkward is that if you're, like, touring with them? Yeah. And you, like, debut this song for the first time, and she's like, oh, what? Uh, No, I'm good. Yeah. So this would get a me uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. too <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> Creating a hostile work environment when they're on tour. As the headliners, and, like, Ozma was, you know, while a very good band in their own right, like, relying on them for the tour dates and then it's just like sure you can come on tour with us but check out this song i wrote where i confess my love to you star yeah very awkward but i don't know cool in some ways could be cute i feel so validated because it's gibberish without knowing that story it is gibberish yeah <laughs> i saw it on your keyboard <laughs> track number 10 touchdown turnaround don't give up on me Touchdown, turn around, 
Mike, let's stop messing around. This is my favorite song on the album. Oh, Keenan. Wow, we our first one. Yeah. Track 10. Took a while, but we got there. Late in the game. I like it. This is a good one. This is a really good one. I think of all the songs on this one, what first came to mind is, I know we both will listen to their debut EP. This song sounds like a song that could fit right in on that original EP these guys put out. Like, it's the fun, goofy, upbeat kind of song. Yeah, this is before Forrest got creepy. <laughs> yeah, This before, is when he was still, uh, you know, a young, fun kid. Before Starwick broke him. <laughs> yeah. No, I do like this one. And it's cool because it's him relating relationships to sports, which I know you're a sportsman, Mike. We've covered that before. You you were quite the athlete back in the day. That's right. So this one probably spoke to you. Yeah. Hey, don't sell yourself short, Keenan, because you were a pretty good sportsman yourself. Wow, thanks. You complimented me and I think also made a short joke all in one breath. Oh, don't <laughs> thanks, <Mike>. sell yourself <laughs> short. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That takes a wordsmith to come up with that, Mike. That's right. Me and Forrest. Forrest and myself. Forrest and I. So Forrest doesn't seem like the type of guy that continued to play sports throughout his life, but he does give athletic participation credit for helping him to become a man. He says, Little League of 93 taught me how to take defeat. So he's learning these life lessons from these activities that he probably sucks at and isn't really (laughs) enjoying. He says, good thing there's no mercy rule in love because I would long be beat. Yeah. Well, he's equating his ability in Little League sports to his ability in relationships as an adult. And it sounds like he's equally bad at both. I think that's kind of the whole point of the song is like, oh, I sucked at those sports back then and I suck at relationships now. Is mercy rule a universal thing? Because my Little League had it. It was five runs per inning. When you say universal, do you mean like, does every sport in the world do it? No, like. I guess it is, because Forrest mentions it in this song. Like, Little Leagues across the country. Oh, yeah. I think Little Leagues... I don't know if it's, like, a rule that is passed by Little League baseball, but I think it's at least common in the Little League sports. Which, by the way, is bullshit. Like, there's no mercy rule in adult relationships, so it's just not preparing you for the real world. That's true, despite what he says. <laughs> life's, uh, life's hard. Life is hard. And there are no participation trophies, Keenan. That's what I'm saying. He is right, though, Mike. I mean, he's basically saying that love is a game. The highs are really high. The lows are really low. At times, it does feel like there's winning and losing. Like, in a relationship, even very serious relationships, married couples, it sometimes can feel like a battle. And so, I think he's right about that. Yeah. It's a constant back and forth. It's a, you're always thinking who has the upper hand at that point in time. And I speak from experience. I was about to say, you would know better than anybody, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, I know when I'm losing. <laughs> I'm losing most of the time. Where okay. are you right now? If you had to just say where you are right now, what's the score in your love life? Honestly, right now, it's not even love life. It's just like, <laughs> am I in the doghouse or not? And right now, I think Wait, I'm Mike, about... you mean in the penalty box? Come on, let's use the right analogies here. Oh, that's true. That's true. In the penalty box. I think we're right about equal at this point in time because... Oh, that's great. Abby just had a big test for school, and I pretty much took care of Jack on my own all weekend so she could study. So that was a huge help for her, so she appreciated that. Um, But then we see how quickly these things turn around, and Sunday night she came home, and I had left a plate in the sink. Oh, no. So all my good deeds had gone to hell because she got pissed off there was a plate in the sink, so... 
Mike, in the sports world, I think we call that a fumble. I fumbled the bag bad, Keenan. That's on me. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's good. You guys are even. You guys are uh, both on a power play. It's a uh, three versus three. It's fine. The essential difference between marriage and these little league games where you're getting blown out is those games eventually end. <laughs> With marriage, is like you just got to regroup and go back to the drawing board, figure out how you can get ahead. Mike, your marriage may end someday. I mean, it will end someday with, I mean, somebody's death, but could end sooner, you know? Yeah. Let's get real. <laughs> somebody's dying. <laughs> like, I've yeah. been very negative about my marriage this episode. <laughs> I mean, you always kind of are, but that's just marriage, baby. Nobody likes a guy that's like, my marriage is amazing. Yeah, those guys suck, and they're liars, I bet. I mean, my marriage is pretty good, but, like, that's boring. Like, okay, end. Yeah. Keep it fun, you know? Track number 11, Two Weeks in Hawaii. That sounds pretty good right about now, Mike. It sounds good to everybody but Forrest, Keenan. That's true. Well, is it true, though? I think it is. First of all, let me just say that this is my favorite song on the album. Oh, cool, man. May I say that? Sure. Say away. So we got our both of our favorite tracks in at the very end, which is interesting. We snuck it in before the final whistle, Mike. <laughs> Another sports reference. Dude, stop. You're, stop. You're so crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just an athlete. I think this was about his girl leaving him for a two-week vacation and him being completely messed up about it. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was kind of funny because it's like he just can't deal with being away from her for even, a, you know, a couple weeks. Whether it's Forrest or not, he portrays himself to be very clingy. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think one of the lines is like, a day or two has passed and he hasn't gotten any correspondence from her. Yeah, It's like, dude. Her parents probably spent a ton of money. I went on my honeymoon in Hawaii, which was great, but my parents comped the hotel as a wedding present. It was 10 days, and it was still a lot of money, okay? <laughs> Two weeks in Hawaii, like, that is not cheap, and they don't want their daughter spending all her time on her phone with her shrimpy little boyfriend <laughs> back home, okay? Well, what I will say, though, Mike, is why is she going on a two-week vacation without him? That's kind of a red flag. Because I think he's 16 and it's her family vacation. Yeah, maybe. But if they were really serious, they would at least invite him, right? No. Hell no. I don't know. Also, why are we assuming he's 16? He wrote this when he was like 25. Because he sounds like he's a big baby. <laughs> yeah, true. If I'm taking my daughter on vacation, I'm not paying for her boyfriend to come with her. Yeah, that's fair. Unless it's like the shore. And like having him there wouldn't cost me anything extra. I'm not paying airfare for this kid. <laughs> that's true. No, I think you're right about that, but it is very aligned with what we've seen before. I think 
he just comes across as a little insecure. I think any time away, he's worried that he could potentially lose her. And he sort of mentioned in the song, like, oh, I hope she'll come back to me someday. Right. And like she will in two weeks. Yeah. But think about when we were all in middle school and, you know, your crush or the girl you were dating went away. It was like, oh, I miss her so much. It did feel like the end of the world. Yeah. No, I I know. I'm being a jerk, but it is like a cute nature. That's the thing. Like, in order for me to think it's cute, I have to imagine him as like a mid-teenager, not like some dude my age that's like, are you going to come home soon? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Because then it's just like not as, um, I'm not as empathetic towards him. Yeah, that's fair. I like how this is my favorite song and I'm just kind of going in on it. Yeah, you've been shitting all over it. Jeez. You're supposed to, like, defend it. From the perspective of him singing as a young man, I get the same sort of notion as what we saw in the starting line. Like, they had a song about coming home from vacation and how everything sucked and, like, their life wasn't going to go on. And I get the same sort of read from this song where it's like, vacation is everything when it's like... Like, vacations mean a lot to young kids. You're totally right. It's really funny that you mentioned the starting line because I also had a completely different starting line reference in this song. Oh, really? Yeah. The way that he describes very specific things that could only be about one person, there's the line, I felt so bad when your mom caught us eating ice cream in your room at three in the morning. That has to just be about one specific girlfriend or ex-girlfriend or friend or whatever. Mm. And it reminded me of that starting line song, Up and Go. Serena. Yeah. Wait, what was the name again? Serena. Yeah, Serena. That's right. I think. I think. Patrice. I think it was Serena. (laughs) Patrice. Yeah, we need you to uh, call into the show, please. But there's a line in the song, Up and Go, where he says, and you know who you are. Here's a hint. She doesn't have a car. And you're like, okay. Right. He's pointing out exactly who this person is. I thought that was so funny. Yeah. So these girls... Obviously, these singers that probably haven't had too many romantic partners are like, wait, I went to Hawaii for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, is that me? He's definitely talking about me here. It's uh, funny you should mention that line of all lines, Keenan, because my tattoo line is kind of related to that line you just discussed. Oh, is it really? So this is a fun thing for this week. I have two tattoo lines and you get to pick which one I get. Oh, it's a choose your own adventure? Mm-hmm. I love those. They both have a similar theme to them, but I couldn't decide, so I'm going to make you decide. Okay, I'm in. The first one is, and this relates back to your line about eating ice cream, I'd hate for her to not want me around her daughter. <laughs> so that's Wait, the first tattoo That's line. a potential tattoo line? Yeah, that's the first one. Okay. And the second one is, your family's rad. <laughs> Okay, um, I would definitely go with your family's rad because okay. that's just a hilarious and b. I don't think you want to write daughter on your arm if it's not like your daughter. I think then you're getting into some potential uh hot water. That's true. I was just thinking about like I don't know being on a train next to somebody and you glance over and on their arm he has. I'd hate for her to not want me around her daughter <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> I think you go with the safe option to go with your family's rad. Okay, cool. I'm a much bigger fan of that. And, ooh, this one's going to be fun because, so it's two weeks in Hawaii. We know the classic Hawaiian greeting is the shaka. Oh, yeah. Which is the thumb and pinky outwardly extended. I'm going to get your family's rad tattooed across my palm from my thumb down my pinky. 
I like it. I just don't know if it's long enough to make that trek from pinky to thumb. Big block letters. It's like the shortest tattoo that you've picked out so far. It is. It is. I'll be honest with you. We'll make it work. Uh, I was at the end of this album and I realized I didn't have a tattoo line. Oh, so you just threw it in? Yeah. Good. Good save, man. We've said a lot of these lines are simple, short and sweet, but your family's rad is pretty deep, so. Yeah, you're right. I'm happy with it. And I think this would be a first time we've ever done this, Mike, but this week, I think we both decided it made sense to include one bonus track from this album. Is this the first time we've done this? Yeah, I think this might have been on an expanded release of this album, but you and I know it from their debut EP, and this is actually the song that originally got us into these guys. Yeah, I think this was the first Hello Goodbye song that we bonded over, and it's the song Shimmy Shimmy Quarter Turn. It's the song that started it all, Mike. It sure is. I think this was one of our bus songs. Like, back in the day, we would ride the bus into school together, and we would split the old school iPod earbuds, and this was a song we probably listened to almost every day of freshman year, driving to school. And Oh, yeah. I remember back in the day, your iTunes tracked your most played song, and I'm pretty sure this was it for me, like on my iTunes, just because... I listened to it literally every day with you. I was going to say, I think it was like a quota we had to, to fill. We listened to it at least once a day, if not more. Probably once on the bus home, once on the bus back, and then hanging out on weekends. I remember listening to it a lot. This one just meant a lot. And then the music video was hilarious. Do you remember it was them like on the beach rocking out? Yeah. Forrest had the zinc oxide on his nose. Yeah. It, I think towards the end of the video, it was basically like a... Baywatch spoof. It was just really funny, and right. I know that we loved watching it together. Yeah, it was awesome. And it was played all over MTV and MTV2. And I think that really helped popularize these guys and get people like you and me excited for their debut album. So while it may not be the official last track, it's still one that we wanted to make sure we gave credit to because it means a lot to us. Brings back fond memories. Let's hear it, Mike. That's a fun one, Mike. It's a lot different. I think Hello Goodbye has a much different sound and much different vibe than a lot of the bands we cover. It definitely had a much different vibe than My Chemical Romance's album that we talked about last week. I think this was just an upbeat, fun departure from all the really heavy stuff that we've been covering on this season. Definitely. Not only My Chemical Romance, but Some 41's Chuck right before that one. We needed this as a little bit of a respite from the moody dark album so i know we kind of poked fun at some portions of the songs but that's why we wanted to review this one this week because they're light-hearted fun songs that you can bop along to and um no death no war 
just hanging out with your friends and trying to get the girl, Keenan. Yeah, no death and no war, but just some very unhealthy relationships. It was funny. Going through it again, Mike, I actually started thinking that this entire album could have been about just one specific girl. In a lot of ways, that's very similar to All American Rejects, how he basically made that about one relationship, one girl. I thought this might actually be the same thing. Yeah, it could be. And the starting line as well. Just these guys that, I said it before, you write what you know, and if you just so happen to know one girl, guess what? That's who you're writing about. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's all it is, and that's all it takes. They're a great band. I know that Forrest Klein is the only original member still in the band today, but it would be cool to see them live again. I saw them that one time, Mike. I think it'd be really fun to uh, to do it again. Yeah, I think they would be a really cool act to see live. They're a band that I've also kind of followed, not super closely, but I have listened to releases that came out after this one, and I do still dig their sound. They're not one of the first bands, I would say, if you ask me, bands I loved during this period of my life, but after looking back at this one, it's like, wow, Hello Goodbye was all over my life for a couple years there, so glad we got to re-examine this one. Well, Mike, that was episode 12 of season two coming down to our last three episodes. It's, uh, yeah, it's moving very quickly. It's almost sad. Yeah, it's sad. You know, seven months goes by. So (laughs) (laughs) it just flies, Mike. It makes me want to try to make it last just a little bit longer, Keenan. You know how we can do that, Mike? How's that? Why don't we take one week off? (laughs) (laughs) And we swear it'll just be one week. And then we'll regroup two weeks from now for our next episode. Okay. We promise we're going to be working during that one week. This next episode will just take a little bit longer because, believe it or not, we're already a little bit behind. So That's true. We're going to get out in front of of this next couple episodes. (laughs) We swear, people. Please stay with us here. The good news, Mike, is two weeks from now, we will be discussing Dashboard Confessionals, a mark, a mission, a brand, a scar, and we will be bringing on a very special guest, a friend of the show, one of our very first patrons to discuss it with us. I know this is one of his favorite albums of all time, so that's the good news, Mike. It'll be fun. Can't wait, Keenan. The more good news is you'll have two weeks to (laughs) drop us a line, poppunkproject@gmail.com on Instagram and Twitter at Project, patreon.com slash Project, And if you order all your uh, Pop Punk Project swag now, it'll probably be delivered by the time our next episode drops. So <laughs> That's true. you can actually listen to us in your new t-shirt and sweatshirt and leggings. Thanks again, everybody. We're taking two weeks in Hawaii. 
We hope you had the time of your lives. Hey, Keenan, you know how you say hello, goodbye in Hawaiian? How? Aloha, aloha. <laughs> Good riddance. I forgot I wanted to tell a funny story about Shimmy Shimmy Quarter Turn, but I don't think we can go back now. What is it? It was when I saw him live at Princeton, I missed Shimmy Shimmy Quarter Turn, which is the only song I'm excited to hear because I was uh, throwing up champagne in the bathroom. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> we can just put that at the very end. Okay. <laughs>